You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. Welcome uh, again. Happy Mother's Day again. Um, so glad to have you. We're, we're, we're in the middle of a series um, on King David. And two weeks ago, Michael introduced the series for us. He uh, introduced us to three big characters that we're going to keep seeing again and again, Samuel, Saul, and David. Um, and today, we're going to be looking um, again at Saul. Last week, we really looked, took a hard look at Saul, um, learned a lot of tough lessons from Saul. And then we looked at King David and the ways that he was different. Um, and today we're going to be doing that again. And, and so we're going to be really rooted in this passage. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one in your hand so you can follow along with us. Uh, if you want to slip your hand up, we've got Bibles in the back and they'll come down to you. Um, you can have one you can follow along. And if you do not have a good Bible at home, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you. Um, but we're going to be camping out here in 1 Samuel 15 and... Uh, and looking at this, this crazy rebuke that Samuel, the prophet Samuel, gives to Saul, and, uh, and, and we're going to be learning um, in particular why, if you, if you look at uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, why in particular it is that, that he says, rebellion is as the sin of divination. And, and, and so unpacking that a bit. Um, it's, it, I think, going to teach us a lot this morning. So we've got a lot uh, to look at, so pray with me, and we will just dive right in. Um, Heavenly Father, God, your word is so powerful and so rich. Um, it is food for our souls, and it, it lights our path. It corrects us, and we ask now, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in this room, in our hearts? Would you um, convict us, correct us, encourage us, build us up by your word, Lord. Give me the words to say. Anything that is not of you, Lord, I pray would fall to the ground, God, but only your words would um, root in our hearts. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, first of all, we need to say that the Bible, when you, when you look at the Bible, you study the Bible, you learn that the Bible... Uh, clearly teaches that there is more to reality than meets the eye, that there's actually an unseen spiritual realm uh, that, um, that we walk by faith, not by sight, that we believe in an invisible God, and, and there is more to what's happening around us than what we see in, and hear and taste and touch. And... Um, we're going to learn this morning about this connection between rebellion and, and the occult. It's actually crazy how much these two things are alike. Um, and so, first of all, we need to establish, like, why, what is occult activity? Why is that bad? Um, occult activity is any kind of interaction with the demonic or dark supernatural realm. So um, if you're new to faith, then that sounds weird. Like you're talking about a dark realm, a supernatural, what in the world? 
Um, but just hang with me, okay? Um, so occult activity is any kind of interaction with a demonic or dark supernatural realm. God, God actually um, talks about witchcraft and uh, sorcery and divination and fortune-telling, palm-reading, all these types of things. These are, uh, these are actually very offensive to God. Uh, they, these are not something to toy with or play with or to be taken lightly. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12 says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, throughout Scripture, there are tons of passages that address occult activities. Um, Due to our time limitations and the focus, really, of today, we're not going to read all of those passages But God begins to condemn occult activity in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And he he maintains that stance all the way through to the second to last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 21. And so suffice it to say, God has never changed his mind about this. He takes occult activity, witchcraft, sorcery, wizardry, Um, Any kind of dabbling in the dark realm, the dark supernatural realm, he takes very, very, very seriously. He does not only condemn the practice of it, but if you look again there at verse 12 in Deuteronomy 18, he says, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So scripturally speaking, to participate in any form of occult practice is considered one of the most abominable sins a person can commit against God. So, having just established that, and you may have a lot more questions about that, you can come talk to me if you do, but just having established that, what we want to consider this morning specifically is, why does God equate rebellion with divination? What in the world is the connection there? Because he says it very clearly, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. In the old King James Version, it says rebellion is as witchcraft. Those words are uh, the same. Now, I want to show you three connections. There was actually so many more than that, um, but I, again, just had to pick three big connections between uh, rebellion and the occult practice of divination. So, number one, like the person that's practicing witchcraft, the rebellious person minimizes God and idolizes man. Divination seeks to put a man or woman 
in control by partnering with the domain of darkness. This is a direct slap in the face of God. It's a way of saying, look, I'll do what I want to do. I'm going to obtain whatever power I need or, or control I need to get that done. It's saying, I'm going to find out information that, God, you're not willing to give me. I'm going to control a situation that you aren't wanting me to control. It's a direct slap in the face of God. It's a way of saying, I'll be my own God. Back in um, 1 Samuel 15 and uh, verse 3, what we're going to see is... Um, where Saul's rebellion was and, and exactly what all takes place leading up to Samuel's rebuke of Saul. Um, so Samuel's given Saul very clear and specific instructions from the Lord in, in verse 3. These Amalekites are wicked to the core, and God says, I want them completely wiped out. Um, their, them and their animals. Now let's see how Saul follows through. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Saul took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted the, to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. In other words, they had really clear commands from God, and then they got into their mission, and they said, yeah, I think we have a better idea. I think maybe, um, I, I think I have a better idea than God, which is, which is absurd, right? Um, they said, it's such a waste to destroy all this good stuff. So, why don't we destroy the bad stuff? We'll keep the good stuff. And we'll even offer additional sacrifices to the Lord with a bunch of this good stuff. So, they consulted with themselves to determine what was the best way. In other words, they're not taking every word of God seriously. They're minimizing God and exalting themselves. And then on their way home from this military victory, on uh, Saul's way to Gilgal to sacrifice all this great stuff, Saul takes a breather in Carmel and he sets up a monument to the Lord. Oh, no, wait, it's not what it said. Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So it sounds like, and this is going to be a theme as we study through this stuff, Saul's focused on his favorite person, himself. Saul's, once again, thinking about whole numero uno. This is strong evidence for the rebellious heart that was in Saul. He's pointing everyone to whose greatness? His. Not God's. Who gave him the victory? 
God. Who sent him on the mission? God. And who's he pointing everyone's attention to? Himself. Rebellion minimizes God and turns human beings, ourselves, into an idol. Um, That's exactly what witchcraft or the occult does. It says, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be the one who calls the shots. I'm going to consult with not God, but this medium or this fortune teller or this spirit or whatever, this Ouija board. I'm going to consult with something other than God to get my advice. Minimizes God. So that's the first connection between rebellion and the occult practice of divination. Let's look at a second connection. Like the person practicing witchcraft, the rebellious person uses God to get something else. Look at this exchange between Samuel and Saul in verses 19 and 20. It says, Samuel says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. Now, if you think about it, Saul has obeyed for the most part. He did about 90% of what God commanded him to do. But in the eyes of the Lord, 90% obedience is total rebellion. That's very important for us to remember. In the eyes of the Lord, 90% obedience is total rebellion. Why does God consider it that way? And he clearly does. Look at verse 25. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you. So he clearly sees this as total rejection of the word. When we ignore any part of what God has commanded us, we are rejecting the word of the Lord. I couldn't help but think about, many of you know the story of how God used this passage to speak to my hard heart about having another baby. That was, the Lord had clearly spoken to us and said he wanted us to have another baby. And I said, "Um, I have a better idea. Let's stick with four. I did exactly this thing. I drug my feet. And God used this passage and said, hey, um, to obey is better than all the sacrifices you're making. We ignore any part of what God has commanded us. We're rejecting the word of the Lord. To reject the word of the Lord is to be in rebellion against him. Now, if you're paying attention, I said the rebel is like the diviner in that he seeks to use God for something else. So, where's that? You know, think about it. With the occult, what 
people do is they, they offer something. Maybe it's a, uh, a, a spell. They go through certain motions or um, a potion. Or they are in one of the ancient practices that's constantly condemned in Scripture is they would offer their children in the fire as an offering for prosperity, something that we actually still do in America. This was a, a, an exchange. I will give you this, and in return, you give me X, right? It's let me go through the motions, let me do my, uh, my, my incantations, let me say my rites, and then you give me something in exchange. That is really the heart behind Saul's 90% obedience. Isn't that what he's doing? Listen, he's saying, I went on the mission. I did the thing you told me to do. I mean... There's a few little details that we like changed, but like, I did the thing you told me to go do. Shouldn't that be enough to appease you, God? See the way he's thinking about God? The same way that the, that, that the false religions think about their little g gods? Shouldn't you be appeased? We did our dance, we did our seance, we offered our sacrifice. It's exactly how Saul thinks of God. It's not a relationship, right? God says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God isn't looking for people who do things for him so that they can get something in return. It's no different than the witch who carefully carries out certain dark rites in order to get something from a spirit in return. The rebellious heart is the heart that says, God, I've been faithfully going to church. I've been giving a tithe of my income. I've been serving at the church. I have been kind to the people in my life. Isn't that enough to appease you? It turns obedience into currency for trade. Bargaining chips to take to God in order to get something from Him. And this is wickedness. It makes God a means to an end. And this is the great evil of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is just like witchcraft. It says, do these things and God will, in exchange, give you health and wealth and prosperity. It's, it's turning God into this genie in a bottle. You rub the lamp the right way and you're going to get what you wish. And this is never the way that God expects us to relate to him. He is a personal God who wants a personal friendship with us. 
like the person practicing witchcraft, let's see the third way the rebellious person is like the person practicing witchcraft. Like the person practicing witchcraft, the rebellious person opens their soul to the domain of darkness. Now, if the first two connections between rebellion and witchcraft didn't put a healthy fear of God in you, I, th- I think this one will. Now, the more I study this, the more it's just like, um, it's, it's everywhere in the scriptures. A person who gets involved in occult activity willingly opens themselves up, right? When you get involved in occult activity, you're opening yourself up to fallen spirits, okay? So you're partnering with them for something. Even though people who get involved in the occult activity, they may not know all of that. They may not be totally aware of all of that. Um, But what ends up happening is the person seeking control becomes the controlled, right? So they started out saying, man, this would sure be nice if I could control this situation. They open themselves up, and then evil spirits come in and just do, wreak havoc in their life. Well, I want to show you that when we rebel and we desire to be in control, we choose to knowingly go against the commands of the Lord, we give evil spirits access to our souls as well. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Now, the domain of darkness, this domain where all these evil spirits operate under the leadership of the, the first fallen angel, Satan, um, was founded, this domain of darkness was founded on rebellion against God. Its mode of operation is rebellion against God. It is the source of all rebellion against God. Satan comes as a serpent into the garden, into a world without sin, and out of his rebellious heart whispers lies, and Adam and Eve rebel. This domain of darkness is founded on rebellion, run by rebellion. And maybe you knew that, but here's the thing that many Christians do not know. When you choose to rebel against God, it's like opening the door of your soul and saying, come on in and rule. That's what Adam and Eve did not understand. And so many people today do not understand. When you choose to rebel, you are saying to the domain of darkness, come on in. I'm with you. Listen to this. The very first time in Scripture that God talks about how rebellion affects us is in Genesis 4, the chapter after Adam and Eve fall. And they have sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain is beginning to wrestle with jealousy toward his brother Abel. And the Scriptures tell us, Genesis 4, 7, that God goes to Cain and he gives him this warning. And it says in the NASB, I like the way that it translates it, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, apparently there's a door 
um, there's a way in to our inner selves. And God is saying, look, sin wants to come in and its desire is to rule you. Its desire is for you. And we don't have the time to get into this, but, but Paul views sin this way. If you read Romans and you look in particular at Romans 6 and 7, he, he personifies sin. He talks about how sin is waiting for an opportune moment and how it's going to produce more sin in you. It's going to produce death in you. So this isn't just like a one strange way of thinking about sin in Genesis. This is the way that Paul thinks about sin. This is the way that Jesus thinks about sin. John eight thirty four. Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. When we, like Saul, rebel against God, we open ourselves up to the influence of dark forces that we don't really want anything to do with, but we become slaves to sin. Demons are given access to the parts of our lives that are in rebellion against God. Once they have access, they keep it until the rebellion is ended. Look at what happens to Saul. Let's see, if, let's see if we can actually see this happening in Saul's life. Flip over to the next chapter. Chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 14. This is the very next thing we hear about Saul, by the way. Okay, so, so we get the rebuke from Samuel to Saul. And then there's a little pause in what we're hearing about Saul. We're learning um, now about God talking to Samuel about anointing David. And then the next thing that we hear about Saul is verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. When Saul rebelled without repentance, it gave a harmful spirit rightful access to his inner life. And this changed him from this day forth. He never repented of this. We often see our deliberate sins as no big deal. But here's the truth. When Adam and Eve rebelled against just one command of God in the Garden of Eden, they chose to participate in a rebellion that had been started by fallen angels. And when we participate, when we rebel against the command of God, willingly rebel, we are choosing, we are choosing to align ourselves with the rebellion that was started millennia ago. That's what we're doing. That's, I know that's weighty to hear. I can like see it on you thinking about this. This is weighty to think about for myself. But this is how we need to see. This is how seriously we need to think about rebellion. So when we choose to align ourselves with the domain of darkness, we're giving legal rights of access to it, and the domain of darkness is free to operate wherever rebellion against the Lord exists. Saul was 
never the same after this. His jealousy and hatred and anger and paranoia and pride just grew from this day on because he never repented of his rebellion. So we've seen that like the person practicing witchcraft, the rebellious person minimizes God and idolizes man, uses God to get something else, and opens their soul to the domain of darkness. But there is a better way than the way of Saul. David was a man after God's own heart, the scriptures say. He chose a different path, the path of wholehearted obedience. How do we know that? Well, at the end of David's reign as king, he's passing the kingdom on to his son Solomon. And in 1 Chronicles 28.9, he says to Solomon, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Now, do you see the difference here? Know the God of your father. He isn't someone that you just take your bargaining chips to and exchange your obedience for something that he can give to you. Know him. Have a relationship with him. And then serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. A willing mind. And then look at his prayer for his son in the next chapter in First Chronicles 29, 19. He says, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes. David saw that in order for his son to rule well and not turn out to be another Saul, this is what he needed, wholehearted obedience. In fact, before Saul became king, this was clearly communicated by Samuel to Saul and to all of Israel. So, moving back in 1 Samuel to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 24, Samuel tells them, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. So remember, Saul went on the mission the Lord told him to go on. He defeated the Amalekites, but he stopped at 90% obedience. And that was not wholehearted obedience. So we've looked at these three connections between the occult and rebellion. Now, I want to encourage us to pursue wholehearted obedience like David. So where did his wholehearted obedience flow from? Well, David pursued God for God. He went after God, not for something God would give him, but because he wanted God himself. He saw God as the greatest treasure in the universe, greater than anything God could possibly give him. Listen to the language that David uses in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Man, this is the heartbeat of David. This is what it means that he 
was a man after God's own heart. He wanted God himself. And when Saul desperately wanted the honor of men, David wanted God to be magnified. Saul's busy setting up monuments for himself. What's David doing? Listen to Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. David's desire was that people would see the goodness, the bigness of God, that people would exalt His name, that people would look to Him and say, He is the one worthy of honor. Man. And while Saul desperately tried to be in control of his situations and minimized God that way, David, through some of the most incredible trials, relentlessly trusts God. In Psalm 40, verse 4, he says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And when you read the Psalms, one time I read through all the Psalms and I just wrote trust everywhere that I saw it, over in the margin. And I mean, it's almost every single Psalm. Trust. That was his heartbeat. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing, no matter how big the enemy is, no matter how dire this looks, no matter how terrified I am, when the odds are completely stacked against me, I will trust in the Lord. But ultimately, David obeyed wholeheartedly. And this wasn't perfect. We know he failed. We're going to get into that later in the series. Most of the time, David obeyed wholeheartedly because David loved his God. Psalm 18.1 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And here's the thing that I want us to hear so clearly. We'll never obey God with a whole heart without loving him with a whole heart. A man once asked Jesus this question in Matthew 22. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Wholehearted obedience flows out of wholehearted love. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He actually says some version of that five or six times in his last supper with his disciples. What Jesus is saying is probably what David would say to us if he were standing in front of us today. And that is, if you're not obeying the Lord wholeheartedly, then work on loving him. You see, this is backwards from the way that we think. We think, I'm not, if I'm not obeying him, I need to focus on my obedience. But it's like Jesus knows we think that way. And so sitting with his disciples in that last 
evening with them before he goes to the cross, he just says over and over and over again, look, obedience comes from love. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. This is the thing that marks the new covenant, is that our obedience is the outflow of our love for God. And our love for God is because He first loved us and gave His Son for us and was the sacrifice for our rebellion. Man, David was a man after God's own heart. Acts 13, 22 says, And when God had removed Saul... He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. You see the connection there. Loving God, doing his will. It's loving God first, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. But there was another man after God's own heart, who outloved and out-obeyed even David. And his name was Jesus, is Jesus. He said in John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, again, the connection. Love precedes obedience. Jesus always did what the Father told him to do and said what the Father told him to say. He exhibited wholehearted obedience out of his love for the Father. And this is good news for us, church. Not because Jesus is our great example, primarily, but because he is our great substitute. Because of all the places that we fall short, in all the ways that we rebel, he obeyed. He fills every gap every hole in our obedience. He is your righteousness. Your righteousness is a perfect righteousness, hidden away in heaven that cannot be tainted or changed. Oh, the gospel isn't a list of rules for us to keep, but it's news to be believed. Man, if you're like me and you see areas of stubborn disobedience in your life, this is good news. I was talking to Cliff about this message earlier in the week. He was like, how's it going? And I said, to be honest with you, it's heavy. Like me just thinking about how much I can be like Saul. It's heavy. And, uh, and he said, oh, man, yeah. yeah, I know. And he said, uh, just remember you're still in process. And I was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I needed that. I needed to remember that God is not finished with me. And the thing that he started, he will carry on to completion, church. 
If he has started a good work in you, beloved, he will carry it on to completion. And so we rest in, we trust in our substitute, Jesus, who is our righteousness, who has no rebellion in him at all. And, and we recognize that rebellion is serious against God. We see we need to hold these things in tension. That rebellion is serious. It's not something to be winked at. These truths are, are still there. This is still us partnering with the domain of darkness when we rebel. We're still opening our lives up and saying, come on in and rule. We're still minimizing God and exalting ourselves And so we hold these truths of our completed and perfect righteousness and, oh, we fight against sin. We hate these areas of rebellion in our lives and we seek to root them out. There are terrifying consequences still in this life for rebellion against the living God. And so, a word to those in rebellion. If you have opened up your life in some area and you see it, maybe you can even see the effects of that where you've opened up your life in rebellion, what do we do? Well, I believe what Scripture teaches is that obedience shuts the door on the domain of darkness. Listen to this from James. James 4 You may be even familiar with this passage. James 4, verse 7. says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is James writing to believers. Believers who are being persecuted, who are scattered. And he says, believers... Submit yourselves to God. First of all, humble yourself. So, confess your sins to God. Be open with Him. Bring into the light your rebellion. Humble yourself before God. And then he says, submit yourself to Him. Or yield to His will in every area of your life. And once you have done that, resist the devil. You can resist him and he will flee. He has no legal access to be in your life. When the rebellion is ended, his access is ended. So you want to slam the door shut on the domain of darkness in your life, then repent of rebellion. Turn from your sin and run hard after God. One final encouragement to those of us who want wholehearted obedience. We desire that. Listen to this. God is waiting. He is waiting to strongly support those who want wholeheartedly to obey Him. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. God is for you in this fight. So trust Him. 
Give your whole heart to him. Listen to what he has to say and then obey. And he will strongly support you when you do. Let's pray. Father, God, you're a holy God, and we are in process. (laughs) And so, Father, I pray for every believer here that we would hold this, both of these truths together, that we are completely forgiven, that we would trust that You have made an end to all our sin. You have paid the price. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you died, Lord Jesus, because you were buried, because you rose from the dead. We, when we put our trust in you, receive your righteousness and our sins are wiped out forever. And... Help us, Lord, to take seriously our sin that still remains in our lives. Help us to see how dangerous it is to align ourselves with the cosmic rebellion that started by fallen angels. God, help us to have a healthy fear of you, to turn from our sins, to live lives worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.